I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, Color Grade listeners. I'm your host, KB, and welcome to the Color Grade podcast. Are you seeing all the colors? The Color Grade Podcast is an always unfiltered, always enlightening, and uniquely opinionated podcast about television and film that goes in-depth with guests that give a Black, POC, or queer perspective. Join me as I discuss highly anticipated movies and shows with fellow critics and friends of the podcast, interview some of your favorite artists about their recent or upcoming projects, and leave you with my recommended must-see watch list. Stay tuned. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Color Grade Podcast. I am your host, KB, and we have a great episode where we are diving into the 2021 Sundance Experience. For this episode, I have a brand new guest joining, editor extraordinaire over at The Beat, aka Comics Beat, and also at Nerdophiles, who is a sci-fi geek connoisseur, a superb writer, an all-around great friend. And welcome, Therese Laxon, to the Color Grade Podcast. Welcome, Therese. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Huge fan of the podcast. Happy to to give some of my thoughts about Sundance. Yes, yes. And we cannot wait to hear all of your thoughts. But Therese is not alone. I also have one of my favorite YouTubers and critics back on to help me discuss this festival. So please welcome back to the Color Grade podcast, Kristen Maldonado, the gem behind the Pop Culture Planet podcast. Hey, Kristen. Hello. I'm so excited to be back and talk about our Sundance experience. This is going to be a fun one. Oh, yes, it is. So uh, for those who may be unfamiliar with the Sundance Film Festival, it is the premier festival of the year. Yes, I said it because I am biased because it is my favorite festival of the year. Um, it kicks off festival season and it really gives us kind of the first look at a lot of incredible films before they either get picked up by studios or before they join the festival circuit to continue to find funding. Um, so, you know, for me, Sundance is just, I don't know, it's just regal. There's an air about it. I just enjoy everything about it, particularly when it's in person. So it was real interesting to have to do it 100% virtual this year. But I asked Therese to join because this is her second festival. Last year was her first festival. We were in person there together on the slopes on the mountain enjoying it. And I asked Kristen to join because this is Kristen's very first year experiencing the festival at all. Meanwhile, it is my fourth festival. So I feel like I could, you know, do Sundance with my eyes closed at this point. (laughs) So (laughs) let's dive in. I am going to start with you. You, Kristen, you have the floor since this is your very first Sundance. How was your festival overall? How many films did you see? And, you know, what didn't you get to see that you wish you had? 
Yeah, so, I mean, this Sundance was awesome. I mean, like you said, there's like a regality, if you will, about Sundance. So, like, you know, I was just like, wow, this is like a milestone. This feels like such a highlight. Like, I've covered a couple of other film festivals, but this definitely felt like, you know, the big one. Um, it, so it was an awesome experience. Um, I also got to do uh, the festival through their uh, inclusion initiative, which was so awesome to, like, go in for the first time and kind of have, like, I don't know, it just felt like they were kind of like supporting me, like, yeah, we believe in the work you're about to do, go do it. So that was awesome. I ended up seeing 21 films and a handful of short films. And man, I know like for there's other people that have seen like 30, 50, 70 films. I'm like, that was 21 was a lot for me. My eyes are still broken. My brain is still not fully there. It's a lot of movies. But a few that I wish that I had gotten to see that I missed, um, probably Strawberry Mansion. It looked very trippy. Flea, which everyone's been talking about as just like this amazing animated documentary. And then Ailey, uh, you know, I mean, Alvin Ailey is such an icon in the dance community. So I, I kind of wish that I had gotten a chance to see that one. But, um, yeah, those are a few that I, I missed. But overall, it was just like surreal, even though we're at home to be doing this festival. Oh, my goodness. Therese, how many did you see this year? Because we were communicating a lot during the festival. And I felt like Therese was watching like six to seven films a day, which I physically can't do. I'm like you, Kristen. My eyeballs were like, I like girl close them because we are just not doing this. So how many did you see Therese? And then what's something that you missed that you wish you had seen? Um, So I saw 31 films in total and then 37 shorts. I went back and I counted because it took a lot of my time. The day, I think a Friday or Saturday, I watched eight films in a day. And let me tell you, it's not your eyes that are tired. It's like your whole body. My back was in pain. It was just, it was, it was fun, but also I needed like a break afterwards. Um, and the movie I really, really wanted to see, I wanted to see Coda. I didn't get to see it, but it's okay. Cause it's getting, cause it was like, on my list and I was so excited to see it and then it just kept getting pushed back pushed back pushed back and then I was like oh I'm gonna watch it today for the second screening and then it was sold out and I was like okay this is a sign that I should have watched it earlier but I'll watch it when it comes out it's it's okay oh my gosh 31 films plus 37 shorts my goodness um (laughs) as the OG I failed you both because I I truly only watched 12 films and I did like a handful of shorts. Um, that's all that my mind could do because I just kept thinking about the amount of content I was going to have to put out. And I was like, I cannot commit to 30 films because I cannot do 30 reviews. Like it just came down to the fact that mathematically I don't have the time to do 30 reviews because also what people fail to realize is during Sundance, you still have junkets happening for other tv shows and films like nothing else stops just because you're at sundance like your email is still you know bursting at the seams so i still had like other commitments of projects that i was already like okay i'm doing the junket for this i'm doing this so i was like i cannot watch 30 films um yeah i just i can't do it even though we're in a virtual setting i can't do it but i will say something that i didn't get an opportunity to see that i wish i had flea is on that list Um, Another one is that they were talking about Land, which was directed by Robin Wright. I heard that that was really, really good. Um, And I did not get to see that one. And then Mass. So I... 
by the time I had heard all the hoopla about watching Mass, I was emotionally exhausted because every Sundance film I watched made me cry. Literally, all of them. There was not a single joyful one where I was like, I walked away like, oh, I feel so happy. None of them. I was weeping in all of them. And so when I heard about Mass, I was like, I don't have the emotional capacity to take on another film like this. I just, I don't. Literally, that's what I thought. Like, I was like, I can't. I can't watch this one. Like, this is just... There's too much sadness. I need to relax. I need to watch something completely mindless. Yeah. Well, that's why I chose Together Together over that. And then, you know, it bit me in the behind because I also started weeping. So, like, what? Truly. (laughs) We're going to cry from from happiness and, like, these joyful movies or cry from these just, like, emotional, like, heart-wrenching movies. We're going to just cry either way. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. But, Kristen, I have to ask. So, we've talked a little bit about the highs of this virtual Sundance, but for you going in the very first time is there something that you wish would have been done differently um I mean again you know I can't really compare to what it's like in you know regular life but like virtually there was a couple of things that I kind of was like oh you know maybe this would be nice I think one of them is just like you know how we're able to do these virtual junkets I felt like you know how cool would it be if there was an opportunity where they were doing virtual red carpets because sometimes it was a little bit hard to hear Mm. back about like interviews you might want to do um I ended up figuring things out. But, you know, I think that could be a really cool opportunity of just like, you know, setting up these virtual junkets that people are able to kind of sign up for. Maybe they could get their red carpet coverage that way. I also think that, you know, there was a lot of like restrictions on like the timing of films. So like, you know, maybe once a film premieres, it should just be like open for the day, not in a block. Because then I'm like, no, I just missed this by like 10 minutes. Or even like having like no time limit to finish it. And actually, one thing that I really kind of was hoping for and um, that they do at Tribeca Film Festival is that the short films are individually available versus in the big, long, like, hour blocks. Um, And so I was kind of like, oh, I wish that they were individual just because, you know, maybe there was, like, one I wanted to see. And then you have to, like, watch a full hour of something just to see if the document – just to see if the short would, like, be in there and, like, where where it's going to be placed. So those are just a few little things that, you know – thought starters of, you know, things that maybe could be different. <laughs> Next yeah, virtual I mean, <laughs> I feel like with the shorts, for me, it was, if you just told me what order they were in, I could actually skip to the ones I wanted to watch versus yeah. just being like, these are the ones that you're going to see, but they weren't necessarily, I don't think, in the order. And also that list was so fast because, well, I was watching from my TV, I should say. In the, in the like printout version, like the PDF, it's in the correct order. Cause I was writing about them as I was watching them. And there was one that was like, I won't say it, but it was very, very slow. And I was like, I don't care. Like, I don't have enough time to watch this. So I was like speeding through it, but they're all in the correct order on the printout, but not on the website. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you guys are talking about. It was hard. And so I would say I 100% agree with that. And I'm trying to remember the festival I went to last year. I'm almost positive it was because I did do a few virtual festivals last year. And I think it was TIFF where the window of time was open for like a solid 24 hours. Or I, I believe it's TIFF or it was, an, I don't know, but One of those festivals last year left it open for a full day. And that was really helpful because it was like, you know, if I'm doing something else where I'm watching another film, you know, it's very hard to kind of schedule your films when you're at home, especially because as I'm watching a film, I'm taking notes. So I'm not just watching it. And sometimes I need to stop it so then I can like kind of gather my thoughts and then, you know, start it again. There's not a lot of time for that when you're working in this constraint, like this just specific amount of time to watch a film. So for me, 
me, I 100% agree. You know, if we could open it up for 24 hours or 48 hours to have the opportunity. And then also I can watch it more than once, like in that sitting. So, um, yeah, I think that there are a number of things they could have done. I think also some, you know, people, well, I mean, especially in this pandemic, you know, people have a lot going on outside of stuff. So like, you know, maybe you have kids or, you know, I have a full-time job outside of, um, being a critic. So, you know, I was lucky that like most things didn't come like conflict, but there was like one movie. I remember I was like, Oh no, I have a meeting now. I'm definitely not gonna make this. All right. I, I just have to give it up. It's fine. I won't watch yeah. it. Yeah. But you know, you never, you know, everyone has like a lot of things going on. So I think 24 hours would definitely be helpful. Yeah. It's funny because a lot of these, I feel like virtual festivals, they don't account for people having full-time jobs, which is so funny because no one can afford to be a full-time critic. Like that's just the reality. And so, you know, um, unless you are staffed at an outlet, which none of us are paid staffed at an outlet. So we are all essentially freelancers or doing our own outlets, putting out our own content, which means we have to make money some other way. And so it's funny that they have like these short windows and it's like, yeah, but I also have work. So it's kind of like, um, or I also have my part-time job or whatever that looks like. Like I have to take this junket because, you know, I'm a freelancer and they already are going to pay me to do this junket. So I got to do that. So, you know, it's a lot of different commitments for sure. So Therese, I'm going to ask you, you know, in person or at home, you've experienced both the first year I feel like is always the most magical one. And I'm sorry, Kristen, I feel bad because yours wasn't on the mountain, but like when you're in the throes of Sundance, there's like truly nothing like it. I will probably attend for the rest of my life, honestly, um, even if I just go, you know, and buy tickets because I adore it. So, Therese, what do you prefer? Um, obviously, I prefer in person. Uh, last year, like you said, it was my first year and it was I do like being able to watch like 30 films at once because last year I think I only saw like seven or eight movies during the whole week. But it was a totally different experience. Like, obviously, I, I'm not even, like, a really big extrovert. Like, I just sometimes like to talk with people who like what I like. And it was just this whole weekend of having fun and talking and talking about, like, just film and, like, that being okay and going to, you know, events and chatting with people and going to talks and stuff like that. That is, it was, like, the highlight of my year, truly. Like, I think even if last 2020 had gone, you know, in a much better way, I still think it would have been a highlight because it was, it was just, it was amazing. Like it, it definitely wasn't like anything that I've been to before. And I, yeah, I'd definitely be going for the rest of my life if they, they allow me to. So listen, yeah. I will tell you, Kristen, when it opens back up and you get to go in person, Sundance is known for networking. And so I always tell newbies and everyone who's going, you know, go to see the films, but do not miss out. Do not skip out on the networking because you could literally walk away with your dream job at Sundance. You meet so many people. I mean, it's a good time, like party wise, sure. But it's at those parties that you're having these conversations with a lot of different people in the industry. I mean, last year, uh, during I, I went to the premiere of Minari and I sat next to a studio buyer, which I like, truly, we were just in line and we were chatting about his job and all of a sudden. And so he's like, we should just keep talking and, and stay in contact. If you're ever interested in moving to the studio side of the business, you know, give me a call, let me know, I'll connect you to people. Those are the types of things that happen at Sundance that you don't want to miss out on. In addition to kind of like, you know, having these grand movie experiences. But to Teresa's point, there like no one watches 30 films when you're we're actually there. Um, 
you are you're watching like 10 maybe you know it's kind of like the sweet spot because also it, things are very challenging and you have to move from theater to theater and it's just kind of impossible yeah. to actually watch yeah i guess it, it can't be like at home where like you're like uh, i'm not really loving this one let's go to the next one <laughs> yes 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 exactly but it's like a healthy balance it's like a healthy balance of like seeing people and also seeing movies in darkness like it's not you know, nonstop screaming all the time, which is what I experienced this yeah. year. Yes. That sounds amazing to get to just like network with people. I'm definitely the kind of person where I'm like, I just like to talk. <laughs> so I would, I feel like I would love to go in person and hang out with you guys and we'll just, you know, watch movies, get drinks and be like, oh my gosh, what'd you think of that? What'd you think of this? <laughs> really? That's it. That's it. That's us next year. So tell me then, Kristen, you know, do you feel like the content and kind of overall experience of this year's Sundance was really conducive to to black and brown folks? Did you feel like it was inclusive, rather, excuse me, to black and brown folks uh, this year, the slate that came out? Um, I definitely think so. I mean, um, I feel like just in general, uh, like I mentioned, as, as attending as part of like that press inclusion inclusion initiative, they, you know, they're focusing on bringing in critics from un- underrepresented backgrounds in and like, they like, include like they increased how many people that they included in that. So I felt like, oh, wow, this, you know, I just I felt already like just from before it even started, like, you know, that there was like this inclusion and like, I felt more involved in like, oh, as a Latina, like, awesome. They're thinking of me and they want to see my work. And then watching the content, I felt like there was so many great pieces, you know, from R and uh, R and J, the, the Romeo and Juliet movie where, you know, we're having this story of Romeo and Juliet told through the lens of, of black and brown teenagers. Like, I loved that. Or, you know, there, I just felt like there was a lot of really great documentaries also about like people of color that like, just like us getting to learn more about their life and like the ups and downs that they've gone through. Like there's been so many great ones. So I, I felt like there was a lot of really great moments um, and a lot of great films to watch about a, a diverse amount of experiences. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Therese? Um, I definitely do. I, you know, I would always love to see more because I always like seeing very unique experiences outside of just, you know, an American point of view. Like I always like seeing it even expanded like internationally. I think those stories are, really compelling like I think in in at least the media that I consume I see a lot of the American experience and I love seeing international experiences from people of color, especially you know when it's different cultures mixing together and things like that that's like what I what I look for and like I think they offered that at Sundance but I also want to see more of it you know like I always want to see more I'm okay with that like I don't need it to be all the same type of story so yeah yeah absolutely um i felt like this year had a bunch of good titles that were geared towards you know um black and and, and brown and, and pocs and queer communities for sure i i'm i'm with Therese. i actually always like to see more i felt like last year we got a huge amount as well this year we still had a lot of great things i saw a lot of great content i also like that we got coda and that it centers on a deaf family like that just to have that type of accessibility in film again like i loved it i was like we need more of this like a hundred percent um and the accessibility the accessibility in film also the fact that everything was captioned closed captioned yes oh i loved it i loved it so much (laughs) i had a problem with some of this but we will talk on this we will touch on this later i was happy for it but 
there were improvements that could have been made. Yes, I do. I will say I saw a few things said in closed captioning that I was like, probably don't ever type that again. Like that's not actually an appropriate way to say this. Um, however, I have to shout out Sundance for the fact that yes, they had closed captioning on everything, which is my one true wish in every screener I get. Please Always. put closed captioning because I don't know what these characters are saying sometimes. Like, I'm truly like, what? What? And I appreciate that Sundance was like, no, if we're going to do this on the app, then we're going to do it on the app and we're going to always provide closed captioning. So shout out to them. And, you know, um, to your point, Kristen, shout out to the initiative. Um, I appreciate that they expanded it to so many more critics this year. And I think it was the perfect opportunity to do so because we're at home. So it was the great opportunity to expand to more because they could. And so, um, I appreciate that. I too was a part of initiative and I appreciate their support and and generosity through the years. And so they know I give very honest feedback every year. And um, I have been asking them for years to kind of expand the grant and just lessen the money. And this year they did it. And I'm not going to say it was because I ask every year, but (laughs) maybe it's because I asked every year and the timing of a pandemic and people being at home so that they could do it. But I always felt like they could reach way more and they did. And I'm so happy and thrilled for them. Uh, and so proud. Yes. So shout out to them. Okay. So I'm going to ask because I already know that you guys definitely want to go back next year in person. And I can't wait to see you guys there uh, on the slopes. And we already talked a little bit about the issues that we encountered from a tech technology standpoint, which I feel like we're kind of all used to now being that this is a Zoom society. Um, and this Zoom-pocalypse is really should it be called. Yes. I'm like, is it a <laughs> pandemic or is it a Zoom-pocalypse? Because truly what is happening? Um, so what would your advice be? And I'll start with you, Therese. What would you, your advice be for newbies coming next year? So I think like the biggest thing is keep your mind open and don't your schedule too much i know that's a like rich coming from somebody like me um but you know especially if it's going to be in person like last year when i was going i had a very packed schedule and it was a goal that i did not reach because it was completely unrealistic but you know i think like have your top five films that you really want to see and you know make that work in your schedule and then be open to like things that just pop up or if you happen to be able to go to a screening with your press or if you you know you're able to score a ticket like be open to seeing new things because typically everything that makes it to Sundance is going to be enjoyable no matter what like you are going to have an experience like watching the film and then you're going to come out and be like well I learned something um so that would be my biggest advice is to like don't don't do too don't try and like figure it out too much because you are going to have to like go with the flow at some point and like that will take you to a cool place. So yeah, yeah I would 100% agree, especially when you're in person. Something that ends up happening is you'll see all of your friends, which is guaranteed, because uh, this is how we all get mm-hmm. to meet in person. You'll see your friends and they'll start talking about a film and you will want to go and it may or may not be on your list or it may or may not be at the time that you originally planned. But it doesn't matter because you want to experience it with your colleagues and your peers. So everything changes and you go like my schedule stays 
fluid, essentially, at Sundance, because you never know what's going to happen. They also have, um, when you're in person, secret screenings that you want to just maybe if you occasionally want to check it out, like, oh, there might be a secret screening. Then also they do secret pop-up events. And maybe you want to go to that because you don't know. It could be for a new show that's coming out. It could be for a new film. It could just be, you know, that weird McDonald's thing that was there for McMillions last year. Like the Oh my God, so the good. Pop-up. So McMillions is the best. And McMillions is a fantastic documentary that you can see now that also premiered at Sundance. But yes, so it is one of those things where you should probably just learn to be a bit more flexible um, because things can can change very quickly at the festival. And what about you, Kristen? Listen, this was your first year. So next year, you can proudly say like, listen, I am a Sundance alum. I can give you all of the keys to success. What will you tell the newbies? Oh, man. I mean, I guess my advice is it's kind of hard to say because I feel like I'm sure being at home is going to be is, you know, super different than being there in person. But at least from being at home, I felt like, like you guys said, like that fluidity of, of keeping your schedule open, like I had a whole list of things, some things were at the same time. And I was like, all right, well, I'll see what I end up going to, you know, I, I have the list written down, and we'll see what happens. Also, something that I, I found out, um, I would say, like, a little bit before the festival ended was I didn't realize that the last day, again, I don't know if this is in person also, but at least online, all the things that won screened again. And I was like, oh, I missed things. Now I can catch it. So yeah, that's definitely something I would keep in mind. And, you know, just in general, like, you know, talking to your fellow critics and, and friends and stuff, like, I felt like there was movies that I found out about that I that were not on my radar and that I actually preferred. And I found out about it from, you know, maybe talking to someone be like, what did you like? Yeah, oh, what are you watching? What's on your list? And, um, you know, just having that little bond of like, connecting more with fellow critics and stuff. Yeah. And I will say when we get back to an in-person setting, uh, my advice would be because I've done the first week of Sundance a bunch of times. I've done the last week because my best friend got married and I was forced to. And I was at the last week, like basically by myself, but I got to go to the awards ceremony and I got to go to the awards and then go to the airport straight from the awards. But they're two totally different experiences going at the beginning and going at the end. The end is very more... Um, um, it's a lot more, excuse me, like relaxed and and focused on seeing the films. So I was able to see films with ease. There's no lines. You know, it's, I think, truly for the people who are only there to see films, the second half is like chill. The first half is where all of the premieres and the parties and the networking things are going to happen. Like in the second week, there's basically no networking. You're just seeing all the films and then kind of going home. And I went to like a lot of cool, um, I met a lot of cool people from like house parties that I'm still friends with now because they had, you know, there was, there were no large parties happening. So people would have like, I went to this like random pizza making party at this, this lodge. And I was like, what is happening? But I met a girl there from London and we are still friends. Like she is actually the last person I saw in London before the world shut down because we went to lunch and, and then I went to the airport and I was like, okay, girl, bye. And you know, a whole year has passed. So like, I mean, (laughs) truly, truly, you never know who you're going to meet. And I think that like, you know, the possibilities are endless and you don't always have to just go that first weekend. You can also experience some kind of cool things the second weekend too. So, Therese, all right, tell me, what AAPI films did you screen this year that had the biggest impact on you? So, I saw a bunch of them, but my favorite one to watch was actually premiered the first night, and it's called In the Same Breath. And it was actually, um, it's a documentary about tracking um, COVID from, like, February of last year. 
like pre or actually December of 2019 up until, you know, basically where we are now and talking about how, you know, Chinese leadership and American leadership actually kind of like mirrored each other. It's kind of like a freaky documentary to watch. It's definitely not lighthearted in any way, but it was super informative. It actually like confirmed a lot of things that I had heard from family members and also um, from like my parents that I wasn't ever really sure. I'm like, where's your news source? You know, like I low key sometimes don't really trust Chinese news sources, no shade to China, but like, you know, the government does control a lot of stuff there. So it's, that was a very eye-opening documentary. It was very well done. Um, and the director who did it, Nanfu Wang, um, she's both Chinese and American. Like, she uh, immigrated to America about, like, eight years ago. So she's got, like, both perspectives into it. So that was, like, my top one. And I watched it. It was the first thing I watched. And it was amazing. And um, a runner-up, I would say, is definitely the Amy Tan unintended memoir that was very very good and i love learning about her life and it's just you know i love learning about american and uh chinese american immigrants and hearing their you know their families lives in china and like how different it is from the immigrant experience when you come to america and that's definitely encapsulated in that document so yeah yeah that was a great one i loved that one Okay. Super good. Uh, and for you, Kristen, what Latinx films just were really incredible for you? Yeah, I mean, the Rita Moreno documentary um, was amazing. I mean, she's a legend, an icon. And it was so interesting to hear about all the stereotypes and racism that she like faced, especially at the very beginning of her career. I was like shocked, but also like not shocked, but also it was just like, wow. Um, but it, it really just like drove home that idea for me of like, you know, there are, you know, when people are telling our stories as people of color, it, it's allowing people to treat us in certain ways and allowing us to see ourselves in certain ways. And sometimes that's not always necessarily positive. So I really love the message that kind of came out of that film of just like how important it is to tell our own stories, because I just I, I think we're, you know, we're able to show a wider range of like the types of experiences we have versus someone who literally like has no idea. And it's just like, Oh yeah, you're this color. You could probably play any of these random ethnicities on screen, right? Yeah, that works. It's like, no, <laughs> that's not how it works. And then another one uh, that really stood out to me was son of monarchs, which was this beautiful story of just how like, it was basically how like the monarch butterfly can represent so many different things in life. It, it represented, you know, this guy's immigration story. It represented him as an, uh, as a Mexican American scientist. It represented like the, these different stories of activism. And, um, you know, we're really focused on this, uh, this, uh, Mexican American scientist, but just the, the fact that there was so much meaning behind his story and him living in these dual cultures of being Mexican and American. It was just, it was really fascinating. I, I love when stories have such deep meaning and the fact that they were able to take the butterfly and show us all these different like elements of, of how it can represent all these things across the globe. I was like, wow, that's deep. I did not get to see that one, but I will second the Rita Moreno doc was one of my favorites. I mean, it was very sad, but very honest. And just even her having those kind of conversations about her husband and just the perception that even she only has one child and she's an adult, but even 
her daughter's perception of her parents' marriage versus what actually was is so interesting to me because her daughter is, you know, a, a full adult with her own husband and kids of her own. And she just thought that they were such a great pair. And just to hear Rita say we were a terrible couple, like just just to be as transparent as she is now. Like, mm-hmm. and she's like, you know, I stayed way too long and I lost a lot of myself. Um, and not even saying that he was a bad man because she still always says he was the greatest guy, but we just were not good together. Hearing her be kind of honest about that was really refreshing. But for me, so two um, Black films that stood out for me, uh, Ailey. So this documentary um, about Alvin Ailey was just so, so good. And it, it made me quite sad, honestly, that he was never able to kind of live his personal life fully the way he wanted to and also be successful. I felt like he always felt like he had to choose, you know, he was building this dance studio and this legacy and he was working so hard at that goal that he oftentimes just kind of let his personal life fall to the wayside and didn't really view it as important. And then he, he ended up not having his, his person or his people, you know, he kind of shut out a lot of people on his, on his journey to kind of making sure that he uh, created this safe haven and this safe space for black dancers. Um, and he wanted everyone to be successful and, you know, that kind of came at the expense of his personal life. And so it was really hard to to watch, but it was so, so good. And I will also say there was a short Black Bodies that was just extraordinary. I mean, the spoken mm-hmm. word over the, the movement, and it was uh, about uh, police brutality um, in the Black community. And it was just one of the best shorts that I have ever seen. And um, it just, I can't even describe it, just how it, um, it kind of awakened in my soul. Yes, very, very poetic. And it just was so moving and so touching, not even from, you know, kind of the uh, the vocalization and the, and the VO that's happening over it, but even the move, like the movements, the way everything moved and flowed in that short was just extraordinary. Um, so those are kind of two that, that really stood out for me. So I'm going to ask you, Therese, kind of what were your top three films just overall and why? Um, so top three are all documentaries because, you know, I love documentaries and I cannot control myself. Um, so I loved Flea. That was like hands down favorite. And then I loved Rebel Hearts and Writing with Fire. And so they were all kind of stories about people overcoming like impossible obstacles. Like Flea was about this child refugee who like escaped Afghanistan and like went to Russia and then Russia was terrible and like finally made his way to Denmark. And he's telling the story like 40 years later to like his friend, his childhood friend who happens to be the documentarian. And it's just, it's animated and it's really beautiful to watch and it's really heartfelt, but it's also like really made me like realize like I'm very grateful to be where I am and to have the home that I have because some people just, you know, they really truly have like the bare minimum and all they have is their lives so that was like amazing rebel hearts was about like rebel nuns who were just like fighting the system and fighting the man it was freaking awesome like listen because nuns are so cool i love it it was it's definitely it also had like an animated quality to it that was made it very enjoyable but these nuns were just you know they were fighting the system they were marching at selma they were helping um they were like protesting at every single protest that existed at that time like they didn't care and then Writing with Fire was about you know, female journalists in India who were from the lowest caste system. So they're from the uh, Dalit caste, which is like the unwanted. But they're like 
reporting things that are like changing the country and like they just don't care like even though they're they could be like physically in danger like they they are here to report the news and tell the truth and that was like amazing like i these are like top three like everybody should watch these documents so what would be your number one out of those top three then i think flee okay for sure that was emotionally like a lot but definitely all right what about you Kristen? what were your top three of sundance 2021 okay so um my first one is coda i mean it was the most buzzed about movie i I had to end up checking it out and you know i think this is definitely one that you know it's definitely my demographic you know a heartwarming coming of age story but i love that they did something a little bit different it's not just a a regular story where you're like following someone and you're like, all right, whatever. It's like they, I really loved how they, they dove deeper into the, these messages of like just following this girl who's, who's hearing coming from a deaf, a deaf family. And, and they were so respectful with how they dove into the deaf community. I thought the performances were really authentic and it was just a very heartwarming film. And I definitely started getting a little like teary at the end. I'm like, why, why? It's just so good. You know, I, I just thought it hit all the notes and um, it was just really solid from like start to finish. You know, um, the second one was Wild Indian, which like blew my mind. I feel like nobody's talking about Wild Indian and I'm like, why didn't anyone watch this movie? But it like resonated with me so much because I just find it so fascinating to see like basically what happens is the decades after covering up the murder of a schoolmate, these two guys go on to have these really different lives. You know, the guy, one guy is is you know, kind of living this um, businessman lifestyle and, you know, is very wealthy and is kind of living with, like, kind of has left the, the Native American community and, and kind of gone into, like, uh, more of a white community. And the other this other guy is, like, struggling with drugs and, and crime and things like that. But their personalities are, like, the guy that's that's struggling with crime is actually a good guy. And the guy that's, you know, seen as successful is actually, like, kind of like kind of crazy you know and so to see like the parallels of of just how how this one experience shaped them like shook me and i mean you know they're they're diving into like the the basically like inherited trauma of that comes with the the native american experience and it was just so underrated i felt like and and the performances like i believed them so much they like shook me to my core it's just dark and brutal and it was really good. Um, and then the last one was Marvelous in the Black Hole, um, which is another coming of age story. You know, about this uh, delinquent teen and a magician who become unlikely friends. And, you know, there was these great whimsical moments of stage magic and just kind of trying to help each other deal through, deal with like grief and anger and family issues. And, you know, what I really also loved about this one was that, you know, we're focused on this Asian American, um, character that I feel like we're seeing kind of break out of stereotypes. Um, like, I don't know, for, for some reason when I was watching this, I kept thinking like, this is giving me vibes of like a Claudia Kishi where I feel like she's kind of like breaking the mold. Um, <laughs> that's how I felt. Um, and I just thought they did a really great job with it. And, and there were so many great elements that the, the director, um, Kate sang and infused in, of her own life into the story, which I thought was, you know, that just makes it more powerful. Like, being able to see someone's own personal experiences kind of come across in the movies that they create. So yeah, those okay. are Okay. <laughs> so 
Listen, my top one, hands down, goes to Coda. I've never experienced, I I wasn't even going to watch it. To Kristen's point, Sharonda, who's been on the show and who you guys know, Sharonda said, she sent a text in our group chat and she said, if you guys haven't watched Coda, you need to. So I immediately like put it on my list and watched it the next day. And I can't... You know, when Kristen said she was getting teary-eyed at the end, I felt like I was weeping the whole film. Like, I mean, like, truly in tears the entire time. There is just one scene where we are basically supposed to just experience a small piece of what it's like to be deaf at a concert and what, and it's just so sad. I literally could not stop weeping. I was like, oh my gosh, like what is happening to me? And then like they follow up that scene with like, you know, him asking her to sing for him. And I just like, I was like, why am I still watching this? Because clearly my heart cannot take it, but it (laughs) is just so good. And it is so thoughtful. And oh my gosh, Um, I will say too. So this is going to be kind of controversial because I know a lot of people didn't like this film, but I actually liked on the count of three. It is harrowing. Like it's very harrowing. It's triggering. It's, it's, uh, you know, about a suicide pact. These friends are just hurting in so many ways, but it does something that I feel like even in the midst of this very heavy subject matter, it's lighthearted. Like I laughed a lot and I wasn't expecting to because of the subject matter. You know, they're just two friends really going through life and they're having a tough time. And when one changes his mind, the other one is kind of set permanent and then things unravel very quickly and it does not end well. But I just think that it's like a a buddy, buddy duo, but in the unexpected ways, Um, you know, Christopher Abbott just gives such a fantastic performance. Like his performance in On the Count of Three is like, I, it's wild. He's um, been everywhere lately. He has. And on, and it, this film just, I don't, it just was wild. I also was weeping obviously in that as well, because let's be honest, I wept in all of them. And then one that shocked me would be together together. So I went into it kind of knowing the premise, <laughs> but just this idea of the importance of platonic love in life just is just, uh, it's not a topic that we explore enough. And, you know, I feel like we do have platonic soulmates in our life. And it's nice to see kind of that highlighted where it's like, you know, this person is really my person and I'm going through life together. And at times it's very sad to watch this man, you know, enter on this journey into parenthood by himself. Like oftentimes you're just thinking about like, wow, he doesn't really have the type of support in in his life that you would want someone that's about to embark on kind of the biggest journey of their life to have. Um, but it's just such a unique story. I mean, my only complaint really about that is like, why couldn't this girl have been older? Because it is, it does feel like quite odd for her to be, you know, like early twenties and this man to be in his forties. It's like, I get it. But like, also she could have been in her early thirties, you know, anything is possible, um, for that. But, um, I will say, you know, kind of honorable mention, obviously we'll have to go to, um, Judas and the Black Messiah. And while that actually centers, uh, Bill O'Neill's story and not Chairman Fred, uh, Hampton's, nobody is touching Daniel when it comes to acting. I mean, that's like, that is what that film 100% showed me. No one is touching Daniel. I'm literally blown away by the fact that he could get cadence, voice, mannerisms, walk, stop. I mean, like, I still, it's harrowing. Like, I watched videos of the actual 
Chairman Fred Hampton after I saw that movie and I was confused because I was like, wow, is Daniel, you know, the embodiment of the spirit of Chairman Fred Hampton right now in this very film? So, um, you forget that he's British watching. I was like, like, oh my God, this dude has a British accent. How is he doing this? It's like stunning. Like his performance is out of control. Out of control. Like I, I truly am like, oh my gosh, like, please guys give him all the things. Like who can do this? You know, there are very few actors. I feel like that can truly embody that. Daniel is like, I'm like, guys, give him all the words, throw it at him. Uh, and then, you know. We'll do a later episode on passing. I have thoughts, but um, I do think it's beautifully shot and the performances were actually good there too. So I'm going to throw that in my, my honorable mention. So my last question is just your top film, which for you, Therese, is Flea. Do you feel like it was color grade approved? You know, is it a good story that centers, you know, the POC narrative or features us in a meaningful way? Or is it just color grade recommended where, you know, we didn't have the story centered on POC, but you still would recommend that people see this film? Yeah, I think it is approved. Um, it's a story that centers around an Afghani survivor of their like civil war and he's a refugee and you learn about his entire family. He's also, um, I guess this is a spoiler, but he's gay as well. So he has this storyline with his life where it's it just it unfurls in a very heartfelt way where he finally comes out to his family and it's very it shows both like the beautiful side of life and also the horrific side of life so you know and it doesn't exploit or dramatize it i feel like a lot of times refugee or like stories about you know victims of war can be very exploitative or even you know it's just kind of like gross but this is a very authentic story and it feels like it's because he's telling the story himself so yeah I definitely, I definitely think it's a perk and, uh, and recommended. <laughs> what about you, Kristen? Coda is your top one. I know Wild Indian is your top two. So I'll give you dealer's choice and say you can pick which one since Coda, since I also had Coda. But oh, yeah, okay. do you think they're color grade approved or color grade recommended? Well, if you're going to do Coda as yours, then I'll do Wild Indian. I mean, I think Wild Indian is definitely approved. I mean, you really got to dive into like the Native American experience and, um, just like these things that I didn't even know that, you know, is apparently like just really involved in that sort of, um, inherited trauma that these people deal with that I, I had no idea about. And it, so I think it, you know, that's kind of what the whole story centers around is that. So I definitely think it's, it's approved. I recommend it. I, I was literally shook watching this movie and before I watched Coda and even still, I go back and forth. Like I really loved both of them so much, but they're so different that I'm like, which one really is my number one? But, um, this one, I was just so floored by the performances. And I just think that, you know, especially the fact that you're, you're actually getting to center this story around two Native American men. We don't always get to see that. And I, I do feel like this is a film that was underrated that I, I didn't really hear a lot of people talking about at the festival. And then I was like, I kind of watched it on a whim. And I was like, wow, I'm so glad I watched this because this was so incredible to just hear their story and kind of just see this different kind of experience. Um, even though it is very dark and traumatizing, it, you know, it was, it was very fascinating. Yes. Yes. Um, Coda. Yeah. I'm going to, you know, it is not POC centered, 
but it does center a community that we do not often get to see in films. And so that is why I'm going to say it's color grade approved because, you know, it's very rare that we get a film that is centered on the deaf community and the experiences of a deaf family, um, especially in this way. And so I thought that that made it very unique in its own right. Um, it also, you know, kind of just drums up the uh, ableism uh, and, you know, like we truly are ableists in our society in a lot of ways. Um, and it's infuriating. And you watch this movie and you're like, wow, I mean, like, I need to be a better person. I need to learn sign language, like all of these things that, um, you know, kind of the film dives into and drums up. Um, I walked away wanting to be a better human being for sure because that film is extraordinary and it's definitely recommended. Listen, uh, Apple saw its value truly because I believe it was, was it 24 or 25 million? Doesn't matter at that point. Cause you're in the twenties. Um, they paid a lot of money, so it will be going to Apple plus at some point. And I feel like I will watch it over and over again because it's extraordinary. And I remember, you know, after the film telling my mom, like I've watched the best film that I've seen in a long time. And she said, you always say that. I was like, well, okay. I was like, well, this time I mean it or whatever. <laughs> or maybe I mean it for those particular moments. Who knows? So either way, I just want to say thank you to both of you for joining this lovely Sundance recap episode. I appreciate it so much. Loved having you on. Of course, we'll have you both back in the future. But Therese, please plug your stuff. Tell everyone what you're up to next and where they can find you on social media. So you can find me on my Twitter. It's Vampire, B-A-M-F-P-I-R-E. And you can also find my work on The Beat, uh, aka comicsbeat.com, and also my own site, Nerdophiles, uh, where I write about entertainment and pop culture news. So feel free to find me there. And feel free to read her essay on Fate the Wink Saga, or is it Winks the Fake Saga? Fate. I don't know the title. <laughs> it's Fate the Wink. I don't know the title because I'm not going to watch it. My very antagonistic essay. Oh, <laughs> I need to read that. I. <laughs> Not friendly. There are a lot of thoughts about that. <laughs> yes, I have not watched it because of Teresa's thoughts via text message, and I was like, "Well, looks like I don't need to watch this because, yeah, okay, sounds good." So, Kristen, um, you know, tell everyone what you're up to next, and where can they find you on social media? Yeah, um, up next, I'm just posting some of my Sundance coverage, um, which I feel like is going to take a while. And then I have uh, South by Southwest next, which I'm excited to get into because I've never done that before. Um, and then where you can find me, uh, youtube.com slash kmaldo, K-A-Y-M-A-L-D-O. Um, you can find me at kmaldo on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, if you add a one at the end on Instagram. Um, and I also host a podcast called Pop Culture Planet that's all about inclusion and representation in Hollywood. And yeah. That's it. <laughs> yes. Love it. Love it. And please do not forget to subscribe to the Color Grade podcast on all platforms now so you do not miss an episode. Follow us on social media. You can follow me, your host, at the Lady KB on Twitter and Instagram. That's T H E L A D Y K A Y B. And you can follow the Color Grade podcast at Color Grade Pod on Instagram and Twitter as well. Thanks again for a great episode and thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Color Grade Podcast. I'm your host, KB, and you can find me on social media at the Lady KB, at the Lady K A Y B on Instagram and Twitter. 
Also, please follow the Color Grade Podcast on all social media platforms at Color Grade Pod. The Color Grade is produced by Domino Sound with lead producer and editing by Randy Chapman. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.